Good morning, everyone. I just oh, that's great. Um, I just want to welcome you all here to the Haven Church. If you're visiting here for the first time, welcome. Uh, this year, we've been powering our way through the Gospel of Luke, and it has been a good journey. Today, we're going to be looking at Luke chapter 15. And in Luke chapter 15, you have um, three pretty well-known parables. The parable of the lost sheep, the lost coin, and the lost son. Today, we're going to be looking at the parable of the lost sheep and the lost coin. And next week, Nim's going to lead us out and explore the parable of the lost son or the prodigal son. So they're pretty well-known gospels. I mean, well-known parables. And for me... um, These three parables have been pretty influential in how I came to understand God and and part of the reason why I became a Christian. They sort of changed my perspective of what God is like. Uh, Just before I begin, if you could bow your heads and I'll start with a word of prayer. Dear God, I just pray that you be with us now. You bless us with your spirit. I just ask that you can help me to gain a greater understanding of what you are like. I just pray that you can help us to gain a greater understanding of what you are like. Um, your love, your mercy and your forgiveness is infinite. There are no bounds to it. So I just pray that you can use these parables once again to show us what you are like. Just pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. All right. Um, I'm just going to have three questions up on the board. And as we work through these two parables, I just want you to keep these questions in reference or in the back of your mind. So the three questions. What does this parable say about the nature of God? What is God like? Because sometimes it's easy to have in the back of our minds, is God really loving? Is God really just? What do these parables say about us and what do these parables say about our relationships with each other so what does it say about God what does it say about us and what does it say about our relationships with each other if you just have those questions in the back of your mind alright I'm going to be reading from Luke chapter 15 in one of these Bibles if you need one of these Bibles there's a few of them up the back so please Read along with me. So this is Luke chapter 15, verse 1. Tax collectors and other notorious sinners often came to listen to Jesus teach. This made the Pharisees and the teachers of religious law complain that he was associating with such sinful people even eating with them. Oh my goodness. So Jesus told them this story. So these parables are in response to their attitude, their um, shock and indignation that Jesus is associating with such people and that he's even having a meal with them. So Jesus tells them this story. If a man has lost, I mean, if a man has a hundred sheep, and one of them gets lost, what will he do? Won't he leave the 99 others in the wilderness and go to search for the one that is lost until he finds it? And when he has found it, he will joyfully carry it home on his shoulders. 
when he arrives, he will call together his friends and neighbours, saying, Rejoice with me, because I have found my lost sheep. In the same way, there is more joy in heaven over one lost sinner who repents and returns to God than over 99 others who are righteous and haven't strayed away. So that's the parable of the lost sheep. After that, there's a short parable on the parable of the lost coin. Or suppose a woman has ten silver coins and loses one. Won't she light a lamp and sweep the entire house and search carefully until she finds it? And when she finds it, she will call her friends and neighbours and say, Rejoice with me, because I have found my lost coin. In the same way, there is joy in the presence of God's angels when even one sinner repents. And Jesus goes on to tell another parable which is even more developed, and that's what you will be looking at next week. Now, who are the Pharisees and who are the tax collectors and the notorious sinners? Because this parable has a context. There's a group of people called the Pharisees and they're saying to themselves, surely this man can't be God because he's hanging out with those people. And if he was God, he wouldn't be spending time with those people. Now, the the word Pharisee in the Hebrew language quite simply means separatists or separated from. And the Pharisees took the rule of God very, 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 very seriously. They wanted to make sure that they were righteous and holy and kept God's commandments so that he would be pleased with them. And they took this very seriously. If they bumped into someone who was deemed to be unclean, they'd go and have to wash before they could go to the temple. So they took this stuff seriously. And so when they see Jesus, who is a rabbi, and they see him hanging out with tax collectors and notorious sinners, they're somewhat shocked and confused. And so they say to him, why do you hang out with these tax collectors and notorious sinners? Now, in Luke's Gospel, the Pharisees come up a lot. Luke mentions them 17 times, so it's those guys. Again, it's not the first time that we've bumped into the Pharisees. And he mentions them 17 times, and most of the time... Jesus is going head-to-head with this group. Now, they had pretty good reasons for not liking the tax collectors. Um, When we talk about tax collectors, it's not like your accountant today. It's these tax collectors, they worked for the Roman Empire. And most of the time in this context, these tax collectors were probably Jewish people who had put their hands up to help the Romans to go around and take taxes from the Jewish people. So they essentially had sold out their own group of people and they were getting rich off their misfortune. So the tax collectors were like the extortionists. They were thugs, crooks, essentially. And they deserved to be disliked. They were dishonest and they got rich. And notorious sinners, well, I'll just let you imagine what that is, a notorious sinner. They're not just sinners or sinners that sin in private. They're notorious sinners. <laughs> so these sinners are well known. Everybody in the community knows that that's such and such the notorious sinner. So what I want you to think about as we read this, because you've got 
the sheep that don't go to Australia, and then you've got the lost sheep, you've got the coins that aren't lost, and then you've got the lost coin. And we're talking about the tax collectors and the notorious sinners. In that culture, they were the people over here. There was no doubt about this group of people. They were too far gone. They were lost. They were despicable. They were the notorious sinners and the tax collectors. Over there, and then there were the Pharisees over here. So what I want you to think about is when you think of lost, or when you think of tax collectors, or when you think of notorious sinners, who do you think of? Where are you in this story? When we read this story, where do you place yourself? Are you in the fold or are you lost? Um, where do you place yourself? And who is the modern-day tax collector? And who is the modern-day notorious sinner? Who is it within our community? Who is it out there? Who is it? Um, and something else I want you to think about is who wouldn't you expect Jesus to be having dinner with? So maybe you might be shocked if Jesus was having dinner with Trump, or maybe you like Trump, I don't, don't know. Um, but who is it today that you would be a little bit concerned about if you saw a pastor then going to have dinner with, or seen with? Because there's always that group that's not here. So I just want you to think about that. Uh, before I go any further, I just want to share a quote with you that I read this week while I was preparing for this that I think is very relevant. And it goes like this, and it's by a guy called Richard Raw. And it says this, People who haven't come to at least a minimal awareness of their own dark side will always find someone else to hate, fear, or villainise. I'll just read it again. People who haven't come to at least a minimal awareness of their own dark side will always find someone else to hate, fear, or villainise. The Pharisees liked to group people. They were the separatists. They pulled themselves out from the general society. And for them, it was quite simple. There were the righteous over here. And over here, there were the non-righteous. It was simple. It was us and them. Uh, as humans, it seems like we do a pretty good job of grouping people, putting people into neat little boxes. There's the just and there's the unjust. There's the holy and there's the unholy. There's the us and there's the them. But it seems that Jesus isn't too worried about these classifications. He's having dinner with the Pharisees and the teachers of religious law. And then he's happily associating with the notorious sinners and the tax collectors. And he's not just preaching to them about how they should change. The thing the Pharisees get hung up about is he's actually eating with them. He's hanging out with them. He's spending time with them. And they don't like that. Because in that culture, if you have a meal with someone, it means you're kind of like, you're okay with each other. And they can't stand that. But Jesus is not concerned about this. He's not confined by these boundaries. And if you look at the teachings of Jesus and what we've looked at in, in the Gospel of Luke, there's only one group. We're all humans. 
and according to Jesus, we're all lost. See, the Pharisees think there's the righteous and there's the unrighteous. There's us and then there's those that aren't us. But for Jesus, it's just one group. And the thing that makes me righteous is the same thing that makes you righteous. And the same thing that makes the people out there righteous. And that's Jesus. His love for us and his sacrifice. We're all on the same level. But I know I don't like to think like that. It's so easier to just think of us and them and categorise and sort and have a hierarchy. But if you look at these parables and you look at the teachings of Jesus, there's only one thing that gives me worth and there's only one thing that gives you worth and that's God's love of you and God's love of me. How do you group people? How do I group people? See, I can read this and understand this, but does it sink right down? All right. Um, I just want to jump to verse 4. If you could just put verse 4 up on the screen, because it's a very, very important part of this passage. And this parable, it, it subtly strikes at our value system, and it contrasts it with... God's infinite mercy, love, and forgiveness. Just read this, this part of the, the um, parable to you. Which of you men, if you had 100 sheep and lost one of them, wouldn't leave the 99 in the wilderness and go after that one that was lost until he found it? So you've got 99 sheep, you're a shepherd. One's gone missing, you're out in the wilderness, and you're like, all right, 99 sheep, you just look after yourself. I'm going to look after the one, okay? I'm sure the people in the audience, when they heard Jesus tell this story, probably thought to themselves, he might be a good rabbi, but he's a pretty useless shepherd. (laughs) Because it doesn't make sense. You're not going to leave 99 to go in search of the one. You're going to cut your losses. And it's a loss of 1% and it's pretty minuscule. You're not going to endanger the safety and the greater good of the 99 to head off and look for one sheep that's gone astray. You're going to cut your losses. It's okay. It's a loss. Can't do anything about it, but that's just the world that we live in. And, and you read it and you think, well, Jesus, what about, what about the 99 sheep that are doing the right thing? They're staying together. Well, why, why aren't you looking after them? Why aren't you protecting them? I've done the right thing. Blah, 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 you know? Um, <laughs> sorry about that, sorry. <laughs> I nearly got away with it, I nearly got away with it. Okay, um... <laughs> When you think about it, our whole lives are based on some level of acceptable failure. Um, If you talk in terms of war, there's always an element of collateral damage. It's just inevitable. There's acceptable loss. People just accept that if you go to war, there's going to be a loss. But it's for the greater good, so it's an acceptable loss. Not everyone's going to pass the exam. Some people 
are just going to fall through the cracks. There's the unemployment rate, and they talk about, well, unemployment is above 4%, that's really bad. Well, what, what happens if unemployment's 3%? Well, that's, that's okay, it's an acceptable loss, it's okay. And that's kind of the world that we live in, where there are acceptable losses, it's okay. It's just the way it is. We live in a world where not everything is going to go according to plan, not everyone's going to buy in, and not everyone's going to be on board, and people are going to do the wrong thing, and sometimes you just got to cut them loose. Who is an acceptable loss to you? Who is lost to you? Who has fallen off the cracks? It's easy to give up on people when they give you very good reasons to do so. And these people that Jesus is talking about, they were tax collectors and notorious sinners. And the Pharisees didn't like them for good reason. They were thugs, they were robbers, they were notorious sinners. It's not like they hadn't done anything wrong, they'd done a lot of things wrong. And culture had written them off. They were over there. And they'd done everything to deserve to be over there, and yet Jesus is hanging out with them. And he tells this story about the lost sheep and the lost coin that doesn't make sense. Because we're like, that's an acceptable loss, Jesus. You're not a very good shepherd because you're going you're gonna to lose the other 99. But he doesn't see us in the same way that we see us. Because we're all lost in the wilderness in some way or other. But sometimes, like the Pharisees, they just don't see it. But, I read this and I always think, but, Jesus, what about those people that you just, they just keep doing it. They just keep stuffing up. I've given them a chance, Jesus. I've forgiven them. I'm done with them. I'm going to wash my hands. They've given me good reason to cut them loose. They've given me good reason to turn my back on them. What about those people? And when you look at the Gospels and the disciples, Jesus, I mean, Peter's thinking this. He's jumping ahead. He's seeing what Jesus is saying. He's listening to these parables, and he comes up to Jesus and he says... Uh, how many times do I forgive uh, a brother that sins against me? Jesus? Seven? Is that, that's pretty good, isn't it? Seven times? I'll give him, forgive him seven times? Because he sees what Jesus is talking about. He's like, how, how many times do I... How many times do I forgive? And Jesus replies and he says, 70 times seven, which is... Don't count. You just keep forgiving. And it's just... Straight into our logic of what's an acceptable loss, and at some point you just gotta cut them loose. Have you ever had someone believe in you when you had given them every reason not to believe in you? And have you had someone believe in you when you had lost hope in yourself? Now, the only reason I'm up here talking to you about this today is because I can say yes. Um, When I was in high school, there were some teachers that didn't give up on me, and I gave them very, very, very good reasons (laughs) to give up on me. And it changes everything. 
when someone gets this stuff that Jesus is talking about and they believe in the worth of others Mm. even when they don't give you a good reason to see it it's powerful and for me it set my life on a completely different path because I didn't give them much reason to believe um a recent personal illustration of this that has happened to me was a month ago. Um, I thought it would be a good idea to participate in a foot race that went for 100 miles. So this foot race started in um, Toronto and finished at Batonga Beach and it went through the bush. It was something that I wanted to do, it's on my bucket list. and. One of the things that you can get in this race is what's referred to as a pacer. So someone who you meet at the 100k mark and then they run with you to the end. They're kind of, it's kind of like a safety thing. And so I started off on this race. I had high expectations of how it was going to go, how I was going to go. And I got into the 100k mark feeling pretty good about it. I was pretty sort of puffed up and thinking, I'm doing pretty good. I'm going okay here. And I met my pacer there. And I thought, you know what, we're going to just power out of here and onwards and upwards and we're going to crush it. And so this guy that had said that he would pace me, I didn't know him very well. I'd, I'd sort of hung out with him a couple of times and I said, oh, do you want to pace me doing this thing? And he's like, yeah, sure. And so I met him at the 100k mark and we left together. And another thing you have during this race is a support crew, so they follow you around to all of the checkpoints. So over the 100 miles, there's about five or six checkpoints, and they meet you there, they give you a bit of encouragement, they fill your water bottles up, they give you food to eat, and like your sort of support crew, they champion you on. (laughs) And so I got into the 100K mark feeling pretty chuffed with myself. I left there with my head held high, thinking, you better be ready to work, Pacer, because I'm going to be flying. So I left there. (laughs) I left there full of arrogance. Um... (laughs) But that was short-lived. And I know that if I didn't have that pacer, there's no way I would have gotten to the finish line. Before that, I thought, oh, yeah, I'm going to do this. But we left um, the 100K mark checkpoint. And from there, you go up a hill. And about 10 minutes into it, I started to get dizzy and lightheaded. And then I just blacked out and and fell over. And at that point, if I didn't have a pacer, that would have been it, because another runner would have come along and found me and said, hey, look, someone's in, has got medical issues, they're gone. But my pacer, he brought me back around, started feeding me lollies, um, and he got me going again. But the hardest thing was my mental state of being, because because I fell over and because I lost so much time and because I just felt terrible, my expectations just, my time expectations just ran off up the road. And it got longer and longer and longer. And I felt worse and worse and worse. And so that person then spent the next seven hours getting me to the next checkpoint. Because he got me at my absolute worst. Because when I came to, 
and I couldn't run anymore. I couldn't run anymore. I was just shuffling. I just said to him, look, this is, there's no point doing this. I'm, I'm stuffed. I can't do this. I've run myself into a hole. And I just started sprouting out all kinds of negativity and self-hatred. And I was just like, oh, I can't do this. I'm such a loser. I've just stuffed this up. Look, I'm sorry. I'm gonna, I don't want to waste your night. This is going to be a waste of time. Just call such and such. Let's end this. I'm done. This is stupid. This is... Other things came out as well. Um, and it took us seven hours, and he coached me along for seven hours. It's night time now, so it's 12 a.m., 1 a.m. And he... I, did, I haven't known this guy for that long, and he championed me the whole way along. And if I, I know that if I didn't have him there believing in me and saying, you can do this, I, I would have quit. I'd given up on myself. I had given up. I was ready to pull the pin and walk away. And this guy that I hardly even knew, like I was thinking to myself, if I was a pacer, I'd probably be like, yeah, mate, you look terrible. Because <laughs> he's looking at, so I'd had my time goal, but what I wanted to do it, and I told him, look, look, we should be finished about here. And it just blew out. So there goes his Saturday night and his Sunday. So I would have probably like, yeah, you look terrible. But he didn't. He just kept, kept being my belief when I had no belief. And when I look at this story, and especially the story coming up, the prodigal son next week, is... That's what Jesus is like. He is your pacer. He is your good shepherd. But when you look at it, you sort of think, well, what kind of a shepherd is that? Because with Jesus, this is the big idea. This is the big idea with this story. These three stories, the lost sheep, the lost coin, and the prodigal son. With God, there are no acceptable losses. Amen. It's not acceptable. He doesn't cut his losses. Um, if I could just get, get the band to come up. With God, there is no acceptable losses in his kingdom. And you see that time and time in the story of Jesus. He goes after those people that everyone else had given up on. And that is the nature of the Good Shepherd. That is what God is like. That is what Jesus is like. And if you profess to follow the Good Shepherd, He calls us to do that. He calls us to go after the ones that other people see as acceptable losses. He asks us to forgive 70 times seven. The people that just keep stuffing up. The people that don't get it right. The people that you just want to wash your hands off and pretend you don't see them. And that is a tough gig. I'm not going to lie to you, that is a tough gig. And it will hurt. You will get hurt. But love is not easy. But the beauty of it is, is that God doesn't ask us to do something that he's not prepared to do. And the only reason that I could ever possibly love is because he has first loved me. Amen. And the only reason that I'm here talking about this crazy idea is because people didn't give up on me. 
when I was 16 and 17, I'd given up on me. Um, I'd given up. And there were people that just refused to give up on me. They still saw value. And I know that they got that from God. That love is from God. God is love. So if I want you to take one thing away from this today, there are no acceptable losses with God. You all count. Everyone is of value. Every single one of you here is of the utmost value to God. Okay? And I want you to think about this when you leave. Who is lost to you? Because when I read over this and think about this, it challenges me because there are people that I want to just wash my hands off. It's just too hard. It's just too messy. And it just hurts too much. And I just, I don't know how it's going to work. So who's lost to you? Or maybe there have been people that have wiped you. They've, you've fallen through the cracks. And I'm sorry. But God's not going to let you fall through the cracks. He hasn't given up. He has not given up on you. He hasn't. He won't. He will not. Dear God, I just thank you for your love and your mercy. I just pray that you help us to see others as you see them. You don't see groups. You don't see the differences. You don't see those things. You don't divide and sort. You just see people worthy of love. I just pray that you help us to hang in there. And I just thank you that you came to show us how much you love us. And may we have an experience of that love, Lord. May we experience your infinite love and mercy so we can go and share it. Pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.